Good morning. Uh, welcome to CVC. My name is Joe Valenti. I'm one of the youth pastors here on staff. I serve with our 6th through 12th graders, and I'm um, getting to uh, jump into uh, Genesis 3 with you all this morning. just want to address the issue of Genesis 3 and the viability of that story. Um, it is hotly debated, and uh, truly this morning, uh, I'm hoping to preach and not give a seminary lecture. Um, but if you're interested in the viability of the Genesis account, uh, how it is different from some of the other myths in the ancient Near East. Um, I'd like to just point you to three resources that would be great reads for you. The first is The Bible Among the Myths by John Oswalt. Um, and it basically talks about um, there, there are several uh, creation uh, stories and accounts in, in, in the mythology of the ancient Near East. And John Oswalt walks through why the Bible is the true and best option. Uh, among those also ancient Near Eastern thought in the Old Testament by John Walton. And finally, there's uh, the issue in this story of the imputation of Adam's sin, that because Adam and Eve chose to sin, all of us are born with a sin nature. Um, that's a hotly debated topic. And so we're not going to dig uh, too deep into that this morning. Um, but a classic on that subject is by John Murray, the imputation of Adam's sin. So uh, if any of that interests you, um, those are some great resources for you. So let's pray, and uh, we'll dig into the text. <coughs> Father, we thank you for this morning, and uh, we thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us in a book that we can read and understand. And uh, thank you that we were made in your image. And uh, God, as we talk this morning about the fall, about sin coming into the world, we are thankful that you have offered forgiveness. So Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher this morning? Give us all that we need to learn all that you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're gonna be in Genesis 3 this morning. We're kind of walking through the book of Genesis. And most of us have probably heard this story that Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, lest they should die. And uh, the story goes that Satan took the form of a serpent in the tree and that he tempted Eve and Adam and that they ate from the tree and sin entered the world. And um, honestly, like it's, it's a little bit of a difficult story, like you know, the story of the, of the magical tree and the talking snake. Um, and that's why you know, some of those books that I mentioned earlier are worth your read. Um, but I think there's a lot we can learn about the nature of sin and the nature of how we function this morning. So if you would turn with me to Genesis 3, we're gonna start in verse one. <coughs> Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said to the man, called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Interestingly enough, kind of the common joke, and we got a few chuckles, the common joke is, right, it's the woman's fault. She's the one that ate the fruit. But, unfortunately, gentlemen, when God comes a calling, who does he call to responsibility? He calls to Adam. So, happy Father's Day. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to talk about that, okay? The first thing that we can see in here uh, that's kind of inherent in the text is that they're standing at the wrong tree. Like, of, of all the places in the garden, why are they standing at this one tree that God told them not to be at? They're all, God has made all things, and they're good, and they're in this garden, this paradise, perfection. And there's probably all sorts of great, great food to eat off the trees and animals. They could probably hang out with animals. And maybe God like made a natural hot spring for like a hot tub and they could hang out and like just man and wife, naked and unashamed, all the things in the world to do and enjoy. And yet here they are in front of the one tree that they're not supposed to be in front of. And I think... I think about kind of our nature and sin and the fact that like there is, there is something to our physical location, like where we are at when sin happens. Because I think it's very easy for sin to happen when you're standing where sin happens, right? It's, it's very easy for sin to happen when you're standing where sin happens, or if I could adjust that, where your sin normally happens. And so, for instance, if you have a problem with alcohol, I just talked to a guy in the bathroom, oddly enough, a little bit ago after the last service, and he said, that's why I stopped going to the bar. Because I would go to the bar, and i say, oh, I'm just going to have a few, and then a few led to a couple more, and then off I went. So I don't go to the bar anymore. Because sin happens when you're standing where sin normally happens. If you have a problem with vanity, don't buy a giant mirror to put in your bedroom. Right? If you have a drug addiction, half the battle is not meeting with your dealer serious. If you have a spending problem, go to Goodwill instead of Macy's. If you have a porn problem, being in front of a computer with nobody at home is not the best place to be. And the same thing happened to Adam. He, I, I wish they would have done something else. Hey, honey, let's go for a walk. Hey, honey, let's go ride a horse. Hey, honey, let's go for a swim. Hey, let's go eat some berries and frolic in the meadows, whatever. Do something else. Go somewhere else. But why? Like, why in the world? Why in the world would they let their path lead there? An excellent example of the right thing to do. We see later in Genesis, in Genesis 39, the story of Joseph. And Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers, we know. And he ends up working for a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife has the hots for Joseph. And she keeps coming on to him. She actually, she's very you know, bold and comes to him and she says, lie with me. And this happens multiple times. And then one day, Joseph walks into the house. There's nobody else there. She grabs his shirt and says, lie with me. And he goes, 
Lost my flip-flops. <laughs> you don't want to touch that. But that's what happens, right? Yep. <laughs> he doesn't stand there and say, well, maybe I should pray about this. He doesn't say, let me phone a friend for accountability. He just leaves the scene. Because there's serious temptation there for Joseph. He's a man, he, like, and he's, this, you know, this woman is grabbing him and saying, lie with me. How much more you know, brazen and bold can you get? So he flees the temptation. And as we fight sin in the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the main things we need to do is not be where our sin normally happens. Change your location. Number two, change your location. Or sorry, number one, change your location. Number two, know your stuff. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to him, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So there's kind of like a timeline here, right? They're, they're, they're at the tree, the wrong tree, which is problem number one. And I would think as a, I don't know, talking snake, there's something fishy about this tree. Let's, let's exit, but they don't. So there's a talking snake, and he starts to talk, talking serpent, he starts to talk, and he plants seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really say that? And then Eve misquotes God. She doesn't know what God has actually said, because God never said anything about not touching the fruit. What God talked about is not eating the fruit, yet Eve says, let, uh, let, or, or you touch it lest we, we die. So, so she misquotes what God has said. She misunderstands what God has said. And then Satan moves another step and opposes God's word. You will not surely die. Right? And he, he appeals to her senses and her desire for wisdom. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's trying to withhold something from you. And then, of course, they eat the fruit. I mean, let's put this into another scenario. So let's just say... I'm on a walk with my wife in the metro parks, which I love, and a man approaches us, and he starts talking to my wife, saying, did God really say you should only have one husband? Am I going to go, let's see how this, let's see how, this, let's kind of see where he goes with this. Maybe he's, maybe he's got a convincing argument. But that's what Adam is doing, like, this is the whole problem here, is Adam He's standing there. It says later that she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. So Adam is standing there listening to this interaction happen, and he doesn't do anything. If I could go back in time, I wish I could go up to Adam and go, say something, please. Do something. Move her away. Walk over to the tree and snap the thing's neck, for goodness sake. Something. But he stands there, 
passively allowing Satan to deceive his wife. And gentlemen, my challenge to you on Father's Day, whether you're a dad or you're single, you're young, you're old, whatever it is, God has called us to stand up and lead. And leadership oftentimes is action, yes, but it also involves opening your mouth with the truth of God's word. Because too many times, people in this culture are selling lies to your wife and to your kids and in this church and to our life groups, and we need to make sure that we know what God's word says and then act on it and speak it. It's okay to correct one another. Somewhere in our social interactions, we, we got this whole thing about like, we don't talk about politics or religion. That's garbage. You always talk about God. Everything that we do should be sprinkled in there. So if you're having a conversation at your home and somebody says something that's incorrect, let's talk about it. You don't have to yell at them like I am, but you can engage with them. Like I just talked to a lady out here and she said something and I was like, ah, I don't think that's right. And we had a little conversation about it. It's okay. Tabidi Anyabule, who's a, he's the teacher at, uh, he, he's the lead pastor at uh, First Baptist Grand Cayman. Great job. Um, he talks about how as Christians and, and as men specifically, we find ourselves like ostriches with our heads in the sand. Just, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it all. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that we have an enemy and Satan is out to kill you and your wife and your family and this church. And there's, there's no way that we can go through this sin-ruled life without a sword in our hand. And the only offensive tool in the army of God is the sword. And so that involves picking it up and reading it. Now, there are some people who say, I'm not a reader. Too bad. I mean, really. Now, I understand like there are some folks that are dyslexic, you have a disability, there is something that causes you not to be able to read. God has created fantastic technology so that you can connect with the word of God in tons of different ways. You can have James Earl Jones read the Bible to you. You can bring it up on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, on your TV, audio, video, different languages. You can hear the best sermons from the best, from the best preachers in the world at the click of a button. So engage with it. Engage with God's word on a regular, like on, on a real basis. Like there's nothing wrong with like little devotions, but our devotions should be supplemental to God's word. Guys, if you're just like reading, you know, notes to dads and you read like a little paragraph and it has like a little verse at the top and it's like, okay, I did my five minute devotion. That's not enough. It's not enough. Ladies, if you're just reading Jesus calling and not connecting it to the Bible and engaging with God's word, it's not enough. What if the guys in our army were like, they went out to the range and did a few shots, pop, pop, okay, I'm good, let's go to war. I'm, I mean, tr truly, I love you guys and I love this church and I love the families here and gentlemen especially, we need to be fighting for our families and for our wives and for this church because Satan hates us and he wants to destroy us. I just want to share a quick story real quick on this point. 
There's a girl in our youth group here. She's a senior. She's getting ready to graduate, and I'm sad about that. And I, I interviewed her a couple weeks ago for our middle school program because she has memorized a significant amount of scripture. And I asked her, I said, why do you memorize scripture? Here's what she said to me. She said, Psalm 1 says that I should meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. And I cannot do that unless it's in my brain. I was like, okay, good, good answer. And I talked to her this week, and, and then she, she quoted all of Romans 8 for our middle schoolers. Here's, here, here's, here's what she's got in her mind. She's got a whole handful of Psalms. She's got the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. She's got Romans 1, 3, 6, 8, and 12. She's got all of 1 and 2 Timothy, the entire books, all of 2 and 3 John, the entire thing, all of Philippians, the entire book, and is just rounding out all of Ephesians. <laughs> That's what she has in her brain. So it's no wonder that this little girl is doing incredible things for the kingdom. It's no wonder that I've been in my office, walked into my office several times this year and found her leading other girls to Christ because she knows the word of God and she's fighting. So folks, we have a great example from a high school girl of what we need to be doing with God's word. Larry Crabb wrote a book called The Silence of Adam, and in it he says, men are uniquely called to remember what God has said and to speak accordingly, to move into dangerous uncertainty with the confidence and wisdom that comes from listening to God. Instead, like Adam, we forget God and remain silent, and Satan keeps on winning too many victories in our societies, in our churches, in the lives of our wives and children and friends. It is time for men to recover their voices, to listen to God, and to speak. Gentlemen, this church will go as we go. And that's not to, not to take anything away from the ladies, but God has given us a mandate. He gave it to Adam right from the beginning to lead. And the way that you connect with God and read his word and are sharing those things in and around your friends and family, they will follow. If you have time to go on Facebook or watch TV, you have time to read God's word. So please know your stuff because Satan wants to kill you. Number one, change your location. Move away from sin. Number two, know your stuff. Fight sin with the sword of the spirit. Number three, take responsibility and repent. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Can you see what's happening right from the get-go? All kinds of blame shifting all kinds of blame shifting, when what Adam should have done is stepped up and taken responsibility. We did, yeah. I didn't say anything. 
I didn't act the way that I should have. I didn't move her away from this. And yeah, we did it. But he doesn't. The first thing he does, she, she gave it to me and she made me do it. Even more so, he goes a step further and blames God. The woman that you gave me. And how often do we do that? We find ourselves in front of whatever sin it may be and we fall into it again and again and again. We feel the shame or there are consequences and we go, God, look what you've, look what you've allowed me to do. It's weak, just like we see in Adam here. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's like a, like a five-year-old cop-out. So, you know, I come home and I go, uh, children, why is there crayon all over the walls? And you hear, boom, 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 right? There they go. And so I, I walk upstairs, and there are two lumps under their covers. And uh, so, of course, they're hiding because they didn't do it, I'm sure. And so I go, Logan, um, buddy, why is there crayon on the wall? Grace did it. I know Grace did it. Yeah, that's probably why you're hiding, right? It's, this is what Adam and Eve have done. They're like a little five-year-old running upstairs, hiding because they're ashamed, and daddy's going to be upset. I love, I, I try to teach my son and my daughter both to take responsibility for what they've done. And I, I wish that Adam had done this, but he doesn't. He passes the buck, and then Eve then passes the buck as well. Well, the serpent made me do it. No, you were deceived into doing it because you were at the wrong place. You should not have been there. And you had no idea what God had actually said. And then you allowed your emotions to take over. And you saw that it was good and tasty and you went for it. Here's the fact of the matter, folks. As much as we try to move our location, like move away from sin, be away from it, as much as we dig into God's word and we try to fight against sin, we will fail. We will. You're, ne you're never going to be perfect on this side of heaven. We will fail. And so what is our response then? I think a lot of times, like for me, I'll just confess to you guys this morning. A lot of times, like I run through life and I know that I'm saved. Like I know that I'm forgiven. And I forget to be in a constant state of repentance. Like I know that I'm forgiven. And so I, I just forget to repent. I don't take responsibility when I should. It's a lesson that I've had to learn. You know, I think about, I was thinking about something that happened with my wife the other day, and I actually asked her if I could share this, but we were in a, we're in a, one of those days where like our kids were just, I just would not listen. I felt like going, do you hear me? You know, and I've, I mean, of course, none of you have ever experienced that, right? But they were just in this mode and like, I was just, I had it up to here. My wife was just like, and she just kind of let loose on my son. She got really loud. I was like, now get out of your room. And I was like. Whew. So we talked that evening and I said, hey, like, I know, I know it was a tough day. I know it was stressful, but like, I think, I think you went a little too, like, I think it was too much. Because Logan kind of, whoa, mom's really mad. And so I just kind of shared this with her and we were downstairs the next morning drinking coffee, and Logan came down, and immediately she said, hey, buddy, come here. She said, remember you, you know, yesterday when mom really yelled at you? Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. 
That's beautiful. And yet, like, and it's so simple. And yet so often, especially us gentlemen, we have too much pride to go to our wives or to go to our children and say, I was wrong. I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Guys, that pride that is in us, the, 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 the lack of taking responsibility and the lack of a repentant heart is something that should never be in the arsenal of a godly man. We should be continually being, being humbled by the word of God, and when, when you screw up, because you will, own it. Take responsibility for it. Go to the person that you've wronged, and then go to God and ask for his forgiveness. So we have one, change your location. Two, know your stuff. Three, take responsibility and repent. And finally, rejoice in the curse. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. <clears throat> By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and clothed them. And so God starts laying down some consequences, some curses. And there are several things that he puts down. He, he, he gives the women pain and childbearing. So in order to, to continue um, life on earth, there will be this constant reminder of sin. Every time that life is given, there will be a, a reminder of our sin nature in the pain of childbearing. To Adam, he gives that he will constantly be struggling and fighting back and forth against nature to make ends meet. Like as, as, as Adam tries to grow and toil and work, it will be difficult. By the sweat of his brow, gentlemen, we, whether it's in the office or in the field, we're always in this constant battle to try and make things work the way that they're supposed to be. And then there's issues within our marriage. What was made to be one flesh, now there is, there, there's tension there. More sin that we need to fight against. And the, this, the, the curse of eventual death, physical death, because you are dust and to dust you shall return. So Adam, before this, Adam and Eve would have lived forever, but God now curses them with physical death. But all of these curses pale in comparison to the curse that God gives to the serpent. You see, the serpent apparently had legs before, and so now when we see snakes, they don't have legs, and they slither. So this is part of the curse that snakes have to slither on the ground, eat, eat dust all of their days, literally. But he also says something else in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, 
and you shall bruise his heel. This is what is known as the Proto-Evangelium or Evangelion, which means the first gospel. The first hint, the little acorn that blooms into the oak that is the message of Jesus Christ. This is, this is incredible what is happening here. Because Adam and Eve were in the wrong spot and they did the wrong thing and they sinned against God and then they hid and then they blamed one another. They just add insult to injury and God could have just wiped them out. He could have, but he doesn't. He comes to them and yes, there are consequences for their sin that they have to live with and that we all have to live with. But the ultimate curse is the curse on the serpent. Because this starts the story, immediately starts the story of God's redemption of his people. Because what he chooses to do is say, I love these people that I made in my image. And Satan, you will not win. And it starts a story of God moving in time and space in history to set apart a people for himself. And what he does is he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And Jesus does not choose to stay in heaven, but he comes willingly, sacrificially, and he lives a sinless life. And because he never sinned, he is able to go to a cross and die and take the penalty for my sin and for your sin. And so what's happening here is Jesus dies on the cross. The heel is bruised. Like it says here, there will be this man and his heel will be bruised. But if you know the end of the story, Jesus did not stay dead. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he saw this through to the end and the head of the serpent is crushed and sin is beaten for all eternity. That's what this story is about. Yes, we all sin. <laughs> I wish we could count it up and have a figure on the screen about the sin in this room, the sin on this stage. What this story is not about is about a God who came back into the garden and said, well, now you're out of my good graces, period. What did not happen is God came and said, well, now you're going to have to work really, 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 really hard to make yourself good. You're going to have to make a whole lot of good choices. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you're going to have to make sure that the scales in heaven are tilted towards the good and not the bad. And then maybe one day I'll love you again. You can get back into my good graces. Maybe one day heaven for you, if you can do that. That's not what happens, folks. That is not what happens. What happens is he comes in their shame and he calls to them and he clothes them. And he does give them consequences. Don't let, don't, don't hear that there are not consequences for our sin because there are but Jesus has taken the eternal consequences. While his heel was bruised, he crushed the head of Satan. And this morning, the story, the end of the story, is that Jesus Christ has come to offer forgiveness in the middle of our sin. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so this morning, there are, there are a lot of people here. And maybe the message for you this morning is 
you need a change of location. That you keep going back to that same sin. You keep finding yourself in the bar or in front of the mirror, in front of the television, or at Macy's spending money that you don't have. Maybe that's the takeaway for you this morning. And that's good. Like We need to be fighting against sin and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a great tactic that we can learn from this text. And maybe, honestly, like you've, you've just slid away from the centrality of God's word in your life. And you don't know truth, or you don't know truth like you used to. And you can't engage in conversation meaningfully and purposefully. You can't stand up and lead because you don't know God's word. That might be the takeaway for you, and that's good. That's a great truth that we can learn from the deception of Adam and Eve. And maybe you're a man who doesn't lead, and you're passive, and you're quiet. You need to stand up and do something and say something. Maybe that's a takeaway for you. And maybe you're the person, the self-righteous person that doesn't take responsibility. Or maybe like me, you need to be reminded to repent on a consistent basis, to lay your sin down at the foot of the cross. But maybe you're here this morning and you are still hiding in the bushes, ashamed of your sin, thinking, oh, I am in big trouble now. And maybe somebody taught you somewhere along the line, or maybe this world has taught you that you've got to be really good that you have got to get it together. And then maybe God will love you. That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that God came to his people in the middle of their sin. And he said, I love you. And he sent his son to die on a cross to take the penalty for your sin. And maybe you've never experienced that. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Dads, happy Father's Day. This could be the best Father's Day ever. Because it could be the day that you make a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And so if you're here this morning and that's you, I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me here in just a minute. And then if you say that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to mark it on the response card. Not because I'm trying to count numbers, but because we'd love to follow up with you. That's not the end of the road, like say a prayer and everything's good. Like we want to help you learn about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, help you to be a better person and to be a better dad by learning things out of the Bible. And if you just mark that down and put your name on it, we can help you do that. So if we could all just pray together, if we could bow our heads and pray, and if, and if you're here this morning and you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. If there's another area of life this morning where one of these points hit you, I'm just going to challenge you to confess to the Lord this morning and repent as we pray. But if you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, you can just kind of say this prayer uh, to yourself or in your heart to give your life to Jesus Christ. Father, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that very well. I see it every day in the way that I act and the things that I say and the things that I think. And I've been trying for too long to try and fix myself and it hasn't worked. But this guy's telling me that you offer forgiveness for free. And if that's true, then I want what you have got. And so I don't have all the answers yet, 
but I believe that Jesus died on a cross to take the penalty that I deserve. And I accept that gift. I confess and repent of my sins. And I ask that you would come into my life and make me new. You would make me a, a, a new person from the inside out. You would change my mind. You would change the way that I do things. You would change the way that I love people. That your Holy Spirit would come into me and make things new. In your name we pray. Amen.